Becoming an Anti-Racist, the podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Muna Abdi, and in this episode, we're talking about systemic racism within the school system, specifically how schools have failed black boys. In this episode, you'll hear accounts from Manny, Davies, Samuel, Hayden, Nathan and Mustafa, as these young men share their experiences of racism at school and the long lasting impact of both interpersonal and systemic racism. This is a live discussion that took place on Zoom a couple of months ago, and educators were invited to listen in to the lived experiences of these young black men. You can find the video to this discussion on our Decolonizing Education YouTube channel, and I've posted the link in the bio to this episode. So my name is Emmanuel, Emmanuel Awayelu. I'm a primary school teacher, a Senko, um, a governor in a school in Newham, and I teach and I work with young people with social, emotional, and mental health. And I also, um, I'm also a director for a charity project called the Reach Out Project. So yeah, I guess to start off with, how have schools failed black boys? I mean, the easiest way to do it is to is just to talk about my own personal experience. So I went to a school um, in an area, I guess that would be classed as, as quite a racist area. So I went to a Roman Catholic school in Bermondsey. I won't name the school, but I went to a school in that area. And I mean, my first experience of school was quite a pleasant experience. Um, I, I remember vividly walking into that school for my fourth birthday and after that, I have to say that many experiences that I had after that weren't so positive. I actually think to myself that uh, my memories are quite limited, partly because of the trauma that I experienced whilst I was in school. And so I guess to summarise, primary school was very difficult for me. My mum used to get called into school quite regularly. She used to get calls saying that uh, an incident had, ha- had happened with myself or with another pupil. And so when my mum would come in, she would then find that there were other young people that were involved in the same situation. But you know their parents weren't being called in or the, or the the consequences always seemed a bit a bit more harsher for myself and so they, they kind of became like a, a theme there where I was get my mum was getting called in for different incidences and my mum didn't necessarily think that they were serious enough for her to be getting called in and at some point she then actually got approached by the school who asked if she felt uh you know that I might have needed some support some some support because they thought that maybe there was something psychologically or mentally quite wrong and uh, my mum being from Nigeria, not being born here, came here, came here in the 80s. She wasn't too aware of some of the terms that they were using at the time. And so for her, naturally, she rejected that. And she said, you know, I don't want my son to be part of any intervention because for her, she was quite worried that what was already happening um, was that, you know, the, me in particular, I was being labelled in the school, but then she was also noticing it with, with other young people. And so what, what kind of happened as I was going through school was a community was built amongst the black parents of black students in the school. And so obviously naturally they would talk and what they were figuring out is actually that the treatment that I was getting was quite similar to the experience, uh, was quite similar to other young people in the school, other young boys in the school. And I remember this quite well actually, when I was in year three, I believe, there wasn't many of us black students in the school by the way. And so what was happening was we were all being clustered together initially uh, you, you might have five or six of us in, in, in a classroom at a time. And by the time we got to year three, the school actually made a decision to separate the black students from their classes. So rather than having five, six, seven of them all in the same class, they purposefully spread them out. And I remember that just because I remember my mum and my dad being quite angry at the time with also other, other family friends who experienced the same thing. And, uh, you know, as a young child, I was able to pick up on some of the conversations my parents were having. And that's when I really started hearing the term 
you know, racist, but without actually understanding it for myself. You know, there's many negative experiences I had in that school, but one that stood out for me in particular was when I was in year four, there was a teacher, a very big, big, big guy. Um, and he, I remember quite well, I was in the classroom, I was doing what a seven or eight year old would do. I was probably talking whilst the teacher was talking, something, you know, not too, not too serious. And I remember that the class teacher actually asking me to stand up in front of the whole class. And uh, it was an opportunity for him to basically berate me in front of everybody. And what was quite confusing for me at the time is what he was accusing me of doing, other students had done, but no one else was being treated in the same way. And I think for the first time, it really clicked in my head that, you know what, I don't know what it is about me, but there's something that this teacher and other members of this, this school, they don't like. They don't like me or there's something about me that that they don't take to and i couldn't really put my finger in it. i didn't know what but that's when i started to really feel like you know what maybe this place isn't for me by the time i got to year five i actually experienced my first exclusion in my opinion a very silly situation as well the, the class teacher was was talking she then asked me to answer a question i didn't know the answer to the question because i, I think i wasn't listening and she asked me to stand up again she told me off in front of the whole class quite quite in quite an embarrassing way and, you know, throughout the academic year, I, I used to hear the teacher say for crying out loud. It was just one of those things she used to always just used to say. So as she was telling me off and I went to sit down, I remember muttering under my breath for crying out loud. That escalated. She asked me to leave the classroom. And then, you know, after 10 minutes of standing outside, which was quite a normal punishment, you would stand outside for 10 minutes. Um, she came out and instead of her asking me to come back in the building again, in, into the classroom, she asked me to go to the head teacher's office. And uh, long story short, that ended up in me being excluded and I, I never went back to that school again. And so, so that was kind of like my first experience of, of, of exclusion. And that first part of my primary school experience was quite a negative one. And as a result, because the because it had such a negative impact on my family and obviously you know my parents being from a Nigerian background that was quite it was quite traumatic for them because obviously they put they class education as something very serious very something very significant they see it as you know the key to opening many doors and opportunities and for them to have their their eldest uh, child being excluded at such a young age for them was quite a big deal so you know they made the decision to move me from South London and I moved to East London uh, I went to a primary school uh, in East London, which I'll, I will proudly say uh, was a very, very good school. It was called Vicarage School in East Ham. And uh, I had a brilliant year. And, you know, my experience in my old school was so bad that uh, the name that I used to go by in my old school, I used to go by Sean, which funny enough isn't actually my name. My name's actually Oluwashon, which is a, a Nigerian Yoruba name. And uh, from very young, the school, I don't know if it was on purpose or what, but they made a decision to change it to Sean. Maybe they thought it was a mistake. So, so that the U that was in my name turned to an A and rather than my name being Sean, it turned to Sean. So like many of my friends, for example, that knew me in that period of time, they'd refer to me as Sean. And so I remember when I first went to my new school, the first thing that the, I think it was the secretary or the receptionist said to me, they said, you know, what would you like to go by? And I remember looking at my mum and I said to her, I want to be called Emmanuel because for me, it was kind of almost like a new start, an opportunity to kind of start again with a new experience and so I had a brilliant year in that school and then fast forward I went to secondary and you know what the theme was kind of roughly the same although I didn't hate secondary school it wasn't a negative experience most of my positive experience about school was kind of more based around the friendships and the lifelong friendships that I developed within that time in terms of um, my academic ability I always used to get told you know you've got massive amounts of potential you know you can do well but what was happening was I wasn't doing particularly well in school and so my parents were getting quite frustrated fast forward I got to year 10 an incident had happened it didn't need to escalate the way it did and uh, the school made the decision to exclude me 
and then it wasn't a permanent exclusion, but I was, I was, I was suspended and told not to come into school for a period of time with another student. We came back and then I was internally excluded for the rest of that uh, academic year. GCSE year was coming up after that and uh, I was limited to only taking a number of my GCSEs, maths, English and science and, and an extra curricular activity. I think it was drama at the time. And um, ultimately I ended up leaving school with just four GCSEs. And so, as you know, that kind of um, impacted what I could then do next, because when I went into college, I couldn't then go on to do the A-level straight away. And so I've always kind of felt like I was a step backwards. I wasn't where the rest of my peers were as a result of that. So, um, so yeah, so for me, that's my negative experience from school. But to be fair, it's because of that experience that I made a decision to then become a teacher, because I strongly felt that the narrative that I've just told now um, it needed to change and I wanted that experience for young black boys to be different and so that's the reason why I made the decision to go into teaching and to do the work that I do now. So yeah, I think I've summarised as much as I could in that period of time. I hope I haven't missed anything out that's important. Thank you so much. Hi everyone, um, yeah I am uh, Nathan Fraser Carroll. Um, and yeah firstly thanks for so many people for turning up for this it's really great that everyone's um wants to get involved special thanks to dr muna abdi for providing the space for um these these young black men to talk about their experiences so diving right into it i wanted to speak predominantly about my secondary school experience as opposed to my primary experience um my experience in primary school however was was a lot more inclusive i remember hearing stories from my mum and um, just like just like Manny, I feel a lot of a lot of the negative experiences I might have experienced at a young age um, could have been clouded by by a lot of the trauma and um, not really knowing what was going on at the time. But in terms of my secondary experience, it was one that was really characterised more by loneliness and underrepresentation and generally not knowing how to respond to the the what I realise now were acts of racism that were going on. So, I mean, my, my secondary school experience was, was really characterised by, I mean, I can think of countless, um, countless number of occasions where people would say to me, oh, you're not really a black person, are you? Or, you know, you're, you're not really black because you don't sound like a black person should sound or you don't act like a black person should act. And to me, that really highlights a lot of the nuance that's missed when we talk about black people, because there's no one way to identify as a black person where a large spectrum of people with a large spectrum of interests and behave and speak and come from all different parts of the world. But really, um, a lot of young black kids don't feel armed with the right language and the right tools to respond to situations like that. So often it gets brushed over and these same sort of narratives get reproduced, especially in schools. Um, well, my secondary school was in Hertfordshire in Potters Bar, which was a very, um, very white school. I was one of two black boys in my year. We had another one black girl but that that was it for the entire year group um so statements like that would be commonplace um in in my schooling experience and really really it was it was a, a lack of education around what it meant to be black and have a black identity that characterized a lot of this i can remember specifically my my mum having to campaign and go in and be called in multiple times and um ask for me to be able to wear my hair the way i wanted to wear it because I had my hair in cane rows and I had long plaits when I was younger. I've always been a person and so my mum being a person who thinks that we, we want to represent ourselves by, you know, wearing our hair out the way we want to. And we'd often be met with statements like it's unprofessional or it's not clean cut or you're distracting other students. 
And a lot of that, that seeps into a young person's mind. But um, in terms of the negative experiences, it wasn't, it wasn't also overtly negative. Now I look back on it, there were lots of very well-intentioned comments and statements that people made that only now I realize weren't actually productive in the conversation of talking about race. I can remember one of my, one of my best friends when I was in school saying to me, oh, would you prefer to be a black person or a white person? Because me, I see absolutely no difference. And to a young white boy, that's probably, he probably felt like that was a really positive thing to say. And at the time I was like, yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, this, this is a space where racism isn't taking place. I feel really at home here. But again, that, that misses a lot of the point of what it means to be black. And I think it, it's, it's similar to when people say, I don't see color and things like that. It's like, we do want you to see our color and we do want you to see what it means to be black. It's not just a case of being not racist, it's a case of being anti-racist. So I can appreciate how a lot of people's hearts were in the right place, but looking back on it, I think really what could have helped those situations, just a lot more education about, about what it means to be black, about black history, about representation in schools, um, on the teaching staff, as well as in, any of the any of the sort of boardrooms where it's going to be predominantly white faces and probably predominantly male faces as well so i think a lot of that a lot of that gets missed and i would have benefited massively from studying something other than you know the slave trade and um the civil rights movement because um every time i would be in a in a class where something like that would come up everyone and i'm sure other black people in this room have experienced it everyone turns to you to say you know what what's your opinion on this like you're you're the voice of your entire race of people and often as a, as a young person in a classroom especially when you're the only one there and you haven't been exposed to lots of educational materials about race and what it means to what it means to love yourself for your skin and your culture you, you don't know how to respond to those situations so a lot of the microaggressions and things that get said just get brushed under the carpet and you actually end up not addressing them and that that in itself is in encouraging just the the reproduction of the same sort of narratives but i, th I think i think it was it wasn't all negative and the opinions that people held were more to do with ignorance than anything else just to just to cover one more example that i wanted to talk about there was there was one case when i was um i was in i think maybe year eight or nine and I was removed from the classroom. It was uh, one of the heads of years came out and took me to a small classroom on my own, one-on-one, -on -one, and interrogated me about some online bullying that had been happening on the, the school, school portal. You know how you can email and message people and things like that. And they'd, they'd flagged a lot of the discussions there and they'd seen that the person was called Nathan, but there were three other Nathans in my year. And it was almost automatically assumed that I was going to be the one doing the wrongdoing and causing up trouble and I was interrogated for about an hour or so despite my protesting and saying this wasn't me I have nothing to do with this I don't know what you're talking about and only once he went back and looked online and checked the last name to see that it didn't say Fraser Carroll it said something else did he actually offer any form of apology and that apology came in the form of offering to buy me a donut in the lunch hall <laughs> at lunchtime, which was just ridiculous to me. And you, you, you leave those situations feeling like completely powerless. You feel almost that your, your personal integrity has been violated. And aside from the fact that event happened to me, you still reproduce these narratives because there's a whole classroom of white kids who see only the black kid get taken out 
and he comes back an hour later and everyone's like, oh, what did you do? You're in trouble. I, I think it's really hard to, to break away from those things, especially, especially when you're in structures and systems in the world where you're really underrepresented in terms of your views and the right way things should go on. And I don't think it's right for, for, for young boys to be able to, to, to have to stand up for themselves in that way because, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the conversations recently that, um, you know, it's, it's a privilege not to be able to teach your kids about racism that affects black people, you know, because black people will have to tell their three-year-old or their four-year-old as soon as they're capable of understanding that their skin is a different color, that they're going to be treated differently in certain areas of the world. And yeah, that's, that's mainly what I wanted to say. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Hayden and I, I live in Sheffield and I went to school here as well. Um, I'm going to be talking about my secondary school and my experience there. Um, yeah, so I just left secondary school last year and I'm going to be talking about that. I think my secondary school was quite performative in their like claiming to be diverse. They would talk proudly about the, the, the diversity within the school but when you walk around the corridors, the diversity wasn't there. You could count the amount of black people on your hand. What I feel like my school didn't do is they didn't claim their black people in a sense, that we were more of a prop to kind of lure more people into the school so that it was more palatable in a sense. People felt comfortable coming to the school because there was this message of diversity and stuff. But you still walk around the school and there's a lot of white faces, which is kind of ticking both boxes for so many people. And I think the people who came to the school were definitely from white areas. This was a very white school in a very white area. Um, I'm gonna talk about my personal experience now in terms of my relationship with teachers and stuff. The black boys who did come to my school, I think they did fit like the horrible stereotype of black boys, which is to be loud and argumentative and aggressive and stuff which was only true when we were pushed by teachers but I think in my instances that I wasn't I didn't fit the stereotype and I feel like it wasn't because of my queerness it was because of my femininity in a sense and that teachers struggled to kind of understand and comprehend like how to deal with me in a sense my um my mom did give me the tools to kind of not necessarily fight back, but call out things when I saw them in school, whether that be to other students or to teachers who I felt weren't um, providing the right education in a way, in terms of their biases to people in their classes. My mum would prepare me with that knowledge to talk up. And I feel like with my stereotype of being a black gay person, I had that immediately people thought that I was sassy and that I was gonna come for them if anybody crossed me in any, type, in any type of way. So I was regarded as rude. And when I did speak up, that just got me into a lot of bad situations because yeah, teachers just thought that I was trying to have a dig at them for no reason. And in actual fact, I think I had a certain kind of maturity, which I was able to see right from wrong in a sense. I could clock that the black boys were being taken out of school and like I'd question like what have they done like I was here I can talk up on their behalf and stuff like that I don't feel like the teachers in my school they 
understood me in a sense. Um, I'm going to talk about my personal experience and like my the social interactions with the school as well. I think there's definitely a lack of education on racism within schools and with my school in particular, because it was clear by all the microaggressions that you would face as a black person in my school on the daily that these children um, who I'm going to school with, they don't understand the black experience in any way. And crossing that with like also being a queer person, the respect for LGBT and intersectionality of being black as well, that wasn't appreciated in any way. I actually sent a letter to my school, my secondary school, talking to, talking to them about racism and the lack of appreciation for the career experience at the same time. I don't remember there being a Black History Month at my secondary school ever. And I think that's kind of funny because I feel like most schools do a Black History Month. Whether it's performative or not, <laughs> I would still expect them to do it because it's kind of like the only time schools are actually expected to appreciate their Black students in a way. But my school didn't do that. They did celebrate Pride Month, but because I felt that disrespect as a Black person, I didn't feel like I could get involved within any of the, the Pride Month celebrations or going to the hall, like um, getting involved in activities and stuff. I feel like that unique experience was really just disregarded and, and that caused me to feel very isolated. Isolated amongst students, but also the teachers as well, because if I wasn't speaking out, I was usually very quiet. Um, I wasn't very boisterous. And I feel like I missed out on a lot of teaching like that. I feel like teachers, they didn't notice me in a sense because I was quiet, because I was more feminine. I was skipped over a lot. The attention was given to the people who were seen to be troublemakers off the get-go. I feel like there's just a lot of work that needed to be done in terms of racial bias, which is another point that I um, talked to them about in my email. And my reply to the email that I got was just, I, yeah, I got a lot of BS. It was more of just like, we're sorry to hear this. And why didn't you express any of this whilst being in the school? But I know if I had expressed this whilst being in the school, then it would have hindered on my experience. I would have been given a worse reputation. I know that my estimated grades might have gone down because for whatever reasons. But yeah, what did I, I feel like, the main thing that black boys needed in my school it was as well as the representation it was the respect i think schools we definitely need to do some something about having biases because it was so apparent whether a school wants to admit it or not we all have these biases and i think people especially teachers need to deal with the fact that they're not perfect i get this kind of feeling that the teachers in my school definitely felt this hierarchy and I know that teachers definitely there needs to be a sense of power there but also I felt like teachers didn't want to take on any sort any form of like criticism in a way which was definitely needed because the biases were there and they needed to be called out so I think that's all I've got to say on that I've gone a bit scrambled because I didn't stick to my notes at all but I hope you guys understood what I was talking about thank you so much Aiden. I think, I think the, the chat says it all. Everyone's in full support and respect of you just sharing your story.
Hi everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Samuel Ofosi. I currently work in youth justice with young offenders. I guess, yeah, my story is sort of, I'm going to try and keep mine very brief and just because of time, but I just want to start from year seven. Basically, when I first started year seven, I became close friends with another people who was white and sort of throughout the school year in year seven, I noticed that Achievement-wise, our results, our outcomes, everything, I achieved higher grades than he did. But come year eight, when in my secondary school, that's when they decided who was in a higher class, who was in a lower class. Even though my grades were higher than his, I still ended up in, a, I think, three classes lower than him. So um, as a young 12, 13-year-old, I was very baffled by that. I didn't really understand it. So I went to my head of year, similar to what Emmanuel was saying, my parents were both teachers. So I don't know, I felt a sense of embarrassment to go back to them. They're both African. I don't know, I just, I felt this fear to go to them and, and tell them, oh, I'm in the lower classes because I'm not doing well at school, which wasn't the case. So when I went to my head of year and asked um, her what, what was going on, her only explanation was, um, oh, we just want to see how things go for the, for the year and let's see, you know, let's see what happens. And then I challenged her to say, well, I've been with this friend of mine and he's in a higher class than me, even though my grades are a lot better than his, you know, so comparing the two, shouldn't, shouldn't it be the other way around? And she was just like, no, that's just how things are for the year, you know, just stick it out and see. And to me at the time, I guess my resilience was just, okay, let me try and do better this year. Um, I ended up working twice as hard in year eight. Yeah, I ended up working twice as hard and trying to improve everything that I was doing. My attendance was always high anyway. It was only sort of later on down the line that I realized they were just trying to have a balance of how many students who were white were in the higher classes and how many black students were in the bottom classes. So if you don't meet the quota, you kind of just end up at the bottom, unfortunately. So yeah, so throughout my school year, I just kept pushing myself, working twice as hard than um, most of my friends or most of my peers that I was around. Thankfully for me, I managed to pull myself through. But I guess the main thing that I want to focus right now is um, the young people that I work with who have had a similar experience. And for them, they end up going the other way and lose motivation, even though their grades normally would be quite high or at least meeting the national average. They go the, the other way and start being disruptive. Why? Because they've worked hard, but ended up in a lower class or ended up being pushed back as if they are not as important as everyone else. And from there, it just leads on to suspensions and exclusions. And in the work that I work with, um, we always say, as soon as we hear a young person has been excluded, that's almost a sentence to prison because the national average shows that a lot of young people in prison have had exclusions in their, in their education history. You know, and I guess for my work now, we're just, just like what Nathan was saying, it's all about equipping young people to develop their vocabulary to to be able to call certain things out and to be able to challenge certain things but to also stay motivated to keep pushing unfortunately in the systems that we're in you will face the oppression you will face being pushed back but yeah it's just all about sort of equipping everyone as as best as possible and i guess this is where educators teachers who take a keen interest in certain young people try to continue to push them because I'm sure everyone here, potentially everyone here, had 
a favorite teacher who they felt they were close to or could speak to who understood them and for me personally as well in that school some of my teachers pushed me and challenged me to do better even though they also understood what was going on unfortunately they didn't really speak out because they didn't feel like it was their place to um, or they didn't feel like they could make much of a change so yeah it was just left with a young 12 13 year old trying to trying to fight many battles um, which you know I wasn't going to make much of a difference and in the place that I was in, I didn't feel comfortable enough to tell my parents because I didn't know what change that would have brought. This is the head of year who's made a decision and said that this is where you belong, so this is where you're staying. So what's going to happen now is just continue to push. So yeah, as, as I said, um, in my work of young offenders, unfortunately for them, a lot of them don't have the level of resilience that I, I may have had at that age and they end up going the other way. And just because of their, the colour of their skin, they end up being targeted by certain teachers. They end up being left in the dark about their futures. And the easiest things for some teachers is just to get rid of get rid of some of them. So I don't know if that motivates anyone, but um, yeah, I guess what we're here today is just to discuss, you know, how best we can teach some of our young people. I know my younger sister put together sort of this package of trying to empower young people by learning about their history, um, by learning, you know, what's because in history, we don't really, in Britain anyway, we don't really teach black history unless it's Black History Month. Past that, a lot of the young black males that I work with have no idea about where their ancestors are from. They have no idea about what it means being black. They have no idea about how to challenge certain, certain things, which can just be seen as banter by teachers or other peoples. Um, you know, just like what Emmanuel was saying, I know a lot of a lot of my friends who were mixed race or who were lighter skin, they always the normal insult was that, oh, you're confused, you don't know where you stand, are you white, are you black? And teachers a lot of the time teachers would hear it and either laugh or not challenge it whatsoever, which, you know, made it a lot more difficult for for some of the friends that I grew up with. And again, that hasn't changed with a lot of the young people that I work with who are struggling with their identity. They don't know how to relate to being black they don't know yeah they don't know their history full stop so yeah i think that's that's something that's really important in terms of teaching black history and empowering our young black men to to be confident in who they are and you know continue to to persevere and be resilient in everything that they pursue thank you so much samuel i'm davis by the way and well, I wouldn't say I'm in high school, but due to the COVID-19, I can't go to school no more, but I'm supposed to finish this year's work. So uh, I'm just going to talk about my experience in high school and my little brother's experience in his primary school as well, because he didn't have it easy as well. So what I'm going to share is, um, I think when Samuel was talking, he was talking about the fact that, you know, the national grades and everything, how he was working hard twice as his friends and you know he wasn't given the opportunity to move up as he deserved i also went through that experience as well where it was time for me no it was during when we were picking our options in high school and i requested to do triple science but i apparently i couldn't do it because i didn't meet the grade requirements but i went back and checked my grades and i was spot on i was literally on on the level of you know doing triple science but teacher said I wasn't allowed and I have to go and tell my science teacher anyway tried to 
persuade him for me to be on the course. But one of my friends, he didn't meet the requirements, got, you know, got the opportunity to go and do it. And I thought it wasn't fair because all year I've been working hard since I came to the school. My dad is always telling me work hard, work hard all the time. And I've been trying my best to get to the point and I finally got there and now I'm being told I can't do it because I don't meet the great requirements, which wasn't true. Well, that's that's one of the you know the problems I faced in high school as well. And there were quite a lot of incidents, not just me but my friends as well, where you know, in terms of exclusion or in terms of punishment, my friends will, will receive it harder than, you know, um the other people as well. Like um so yeah, so a lot a lot of young black you you know, when we're being punished, uh especially when it's between young black you and you know, other race, it's not fair in a way. The young black youth always, you know, being getting the harder punishment, getting exclusions, and which leads to so many things and just leads to the fact that kids don't like school anymore, then there'll be a lot of kids on the street and it'll bring a lot of stuff. And where I went to school wasn't, you know, a very peaceful place. If you know Manchester and if you know this area called Mossside and if you know this school called Manchester Academy, everyone knows that, you know, this school has a bad rep- um, reputation and what the school tried to do, I mean, what I knew that a teacher try, is trying to do is, you know, change the people, people's, op- <laughs> people's opinion in the, in the society about, you know, how the school is terrible. But that's, that's you know, something about me in high school. And I'm also going to share what my little brother being through in primary school as well. So my little brother, he's in year four now. And when he was in year two, year one, he started his old schools and his reception. So he's been there for, he was there for like three years. But when he started year one and year two, there was a lot of, you know, what do you call it? Disagreement and misunderstanding between him and the teachers because he does something and he would just, you know, get kicked out of the class. The teachers would just kick him out of the class because I don't know. I don't. I don't really know much, but what I know is that he wasn't being treated fairly, you know, as he should. But everything that he does, he just gets sent out of the class every day. My mom and my dad would be receiving, you know, letters and messages saying that your child have done this, your child have done that. Come to the school, come and do this. You know, we need to, we need to talk about this. And every single time they go, it's always like it's just not him that does it. It's other people as well. And the other people, you know, don't receive the same punishment as him. It's like he's not the one being treated fairly in the class. His school wasn't a very diverse school. There was a lot of white people. It's a Catholic school and there's, there's a lot of white people and, there's, you know, a lot of black people because every black parents want their child to go to a Catholic school. But when he does certain things in the class, teachers are always, you know, sending him out of the class because they don't understand him. And when he tries to explain himself, was getting kicked out of the class. Recently, he was moved from his school to a new school, and now where he is, even though there's a lot of black people, and I mean, there's a lot of white people, and even though sometimes it causes a lot, not just a bit of trouble in the class, you know, talking, being a bit talkative, he still have that respect, like the teachers have that respect and, you know, time for him and understanding, try to understand him, and since he started the new school, he's been performing so great compared to his, you know, his old school, it's academic, like my, my dad was telling me how he's been improving in all, all this. And one more thing I will share about 
high school as well was starting year 11 one of our teachers started to put you know mentoring session in place for you know the ethnic minorities in this country and we started you know partaking them sessions so what she's trying to do is you know try to educate us as ethnic minorities to be able to understand our place in the society and you know how we should we should behave and when certain things come to us because the world out there is very big and you know we need to be able to understand how we should be treated and what how we should treat others as well and that is going very great so i think i'll just leave it there thank you so much davies my name is mustafa Mohammed. i'm from sheffield i'm 26 I'm a uh, assistant project manager for an infras- infrastructure company that builds railways and bridges. Well, starting off, I'm going to keep it brief. It's just, I'm going to go, instead of going into the wider topic, I'm just going to keep it simple and talk about both my experiences. Secondary school, I went to Silverdale School. That was located in the Ben um, Screen area of Sheffield. So that's more, it's predominantly white upper class. And um, coming, f- coming from where I come from, it's about, more towards the city centre is the uh, Boom Hall area of Sheffield. It's uh, predominantly black. So there was one incident I remember. There was a, this was when, when I was in year, year 11, in fact. There was um, a girl who was um, in the vending machine. The vending machines were located in the courtyard of the school. It was during class time, so there was no teachers or nobody present. It was just the girl that was in the vending machine and there was a lad called Oliver who was in the same year and he was, he was just, um, I just call him a blatant racist. I mean, he used to, he'd say it with his chest as well. I mean, and, and, and he, to be honest, he wasn't afraid to say it. He was proud of what he was. So then um, he must have seen this uh, young girl, she was called Fatima. She was in the vending machine. She was obviously there first and while she was using it, it must have pushed her out of the way. And then she must have gone, excuse me. And then he goes, oh, uh, I, I don't care, right? And then she's like, oh, well, I'm first. And then he goes, yeah, well, I'm white and you're black. He just said it to a blade like that. So then he must have pulled her headscarf off and then he pushed her to the ground. Um, two lads must have seen it and then they all got into a fight. The um, teachers and everybody got involved at that point. And long story short, the two lads who helped the girl were both black. I mean, they got excluded and the boy didn't get excluded. I remember we had a word with the head teachers and they was like, I was like, okay, if you take the race out of it, it's simply violence. I mean, they, the whole basis of the two black boys getting expelled, uh, excluded, sorry, for a couple of days was they acted violently, but the white lad Oliver, he acted violently first. So it was sort of double standards there. My only experience was um, in the year of 2011, I got into a bit of trouble with the law. I finished my GCSEs at that point. I was going on to my A-levels. It was a January. I had an um, exam, I remember, that morning. I ended up getting arrested that morning. Missed my exam. A week later, I went back to school after the court proceedings were done at the moment. And then the, I was released on bail. Then... What happened was, is I went to school and explained the fact of why I missed the exam. Then the teachers obviously weren't too happy. I mean, I weren't too happy about it myself and I put my hand up. It was a mistake that I made. I'm not going to make no excuses for it because a part of growing out of what we're trying to fight here is everybody owning up to their mistakes. So then basically what, what happened there was I told one of the teachers and one of the, te- one of the teachers said, right, um, 
this is my an economics and finance teacher. She said she'll cash into my exam. The other two teachers basically said, we're not going to cash into your exam. I mean, it's just going to be a waste of time. I mean, you're not going to end up doing it. There's no point in us cashing in. You're just a waste of time, really. So I had to go back a year and I went to went over to High Stores, which is literally just a 15 minute walk up the road. And then I carried on with my 1A level at Silverdale. Then the other two, I had to restart from AS and I went to High Stores. So then when I went there, a week into it, the head teacher pulled me out of my class and blatantly just had a go at me. And I didn't understand what she was talking about. And she's like, and she said to me, this was the first time in her career as a head teacher at school, and she was a head teacher for about 30 years or so, that probation, youth probation services had to contact um, the head teacher, basically regarding myself. And then I said, well, I'm guessing that's part of their job because at that, at that time I was 16. And I'm saying, I'm guessing it's part of their job. I mean, as youth offending services, I mean, they have to contact schools or whoever they do need to contact. And I mean, that's, that's out of my control. And I don't understand why she was upset at the fact that she was taking out of me. At that point, I just, I, I left. And then I, months, I was actually, I was trying out. I was doing my best. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't stupid at school. I knew what I was doing. So regardless of that, I mean, I, I was going to my lessons. and But then I always had to request one day off to attend court. Yeah, one day off a month. Sometimes it was twice in a month. And at that point, the head teacher pulled me back out and was like, look, you uh, asked her, I said to my teacher next Friday, I can't attend because of this. But then whatever homework and work that was set or whatever assignments that needed to be done, I was on top of it. So to be honest, I was not missing out on anything but lesson time and not attending class. So the head teacher pulled me aside and says, you can't, I'm not letting you go. And I was like, you, I, I was sort of stuck in between a rock and a hard place. I was like, if you don't let me go, I skip court, I get into further trouble. But you're not letting me go. I mean, it's the more important one there is, I mean, I, I'm on top of my work. And basically she said, no, um, I, well, if you go, you'll, you'll, you'll be expelled or something. So then I remember I just left. I didn't finish any of my two A-levels that I did at high stores and I carried on with the one at Silverdale, which I then had to take another year out. Couldn't apply for uni that year. As soon as I finished that, I didn't have enough UCAS points. I was only 20 or 30 UCAS points off. I wrote to the university explaining my situation and explaining what I could have potentially come out with had I had not had these uh, obstacles in my way in terms of these uh, school teachers and just their blatant disregard and sort of anger towards the one mistake that I did do, which I did end up taking my punishment on the chin. I didn't go to jail. I mean, the, I had a very, very good youth uh, probation service officer at the time who I didn't get a custodial sentence for. They put me on a youth rehabilitation program because of what I could potentially achieve and the one mistake that I made. But I mean, that that's my story there. And I, I say that I fought tooth and nail to get where I am now. But majority of the people I see now looking at that, I, I don't think I can say the same for them. I mean, everybody is different. Everybody has a different level of resilience. And some people potentially for that one mistake they do make in their teens or whether it be in their adult life or whatever, they just carry that mistake on with them forever and ever and ever and just repeatedly punished. And the, when you look at the majority, it's just due to the color of their skin and just the lack of help ethnic minorities do get. So that, that's my two personal experiences there. I'm just having a look at the chat and there are a lot of impassioned discussions that are taking place. I'm just going to quickly remind everybody of the principles that we looked at at the start. 
So please respect the stories that have been shared with you. There are, there, this isn't a place of judgment and it isn't a place of uh, raising questions about details about people's stories. So think carefully about the questions that you're asking the young men. Again, take care of yourself. That's to the speakers as well as to people that are listening in. To the speakers, if, if a question I ask you doesn't feel appropriate, please let me know and you are not obliged in any way to respond to any of these questions. Um, and again, don't quote people's experiences outside of this space. It needs to remain as confidential as possible if you don't have their permission. And please be mindful of language. I know everybody's really passionate about this topic, but let's just bear that in mind in how we phrase questions. I'm going to unmute all of the young men and I just want each of you initially to just give me one brief statement on what you think needs to happen or could have happened in order to improve your experience at school and then I'm going to go and go through the questions and whoever feels like they want to respond to it you're more than welcome to. So Manny do you want to go first just a yeah, quick statement on on what you think could have been different? I guess briefly I think the first thing I'd say is uh, representation matters not just in terms of how many teachers that we have but I think also just general staff whether it's uh, people that can support and liaise with the families I think one of the difficulties that my mum and my dad had was that they they didn't really have a great understanding around some of the terms some of the systems the policies around the school and because of that you know teachers are able to manipulate um, certain situations with the school because they had no knowledge and from personal experience where there's been families who have had difficulty engaging or interaction with other members of staff, um, you know, I would then be able to step in to say, actually, you know what, this is what we're doing. This is how we're trying to support your child. And, you know, on the flip side of that, where there's colleagues or staff members who are making question questionable remarks or, you know, making decisions that clearly show a lack of understanding around the culture of the people that they're dealing with, you know, you're able to then kind of step in and question that. So I think for me, what could have been different is obviously, you know, the same issue that we see now 20 plus years on, representation, having more uh, black members of staff um, who just understand and are prepared to help and support not just the school, but also the families. And, um, and I think ultimately, because of my personal experience, negative experience, I would say that you need to have people who are kind and compassionate in the profession that we're in. It, it always kind of bewilders me how we've got, you know, people who are entrusted to, to, uh, to teach and to educate the, the next generation, but yet they don't show those same qualities or same traits. And I mentioned it recently on my, on my Twitter, you know, British values is this thing that we scream, but from my personal experience, from the experiences that other people have shared today, you know, how do schools even show uh, you know, those British values within their own system. You know, I see SLT members that walk past members of staff and not even give them a hello, you know. So I think for me, it's very important, not only representation, but that the people that you have in the profession where you're teaching young people, make sure that it's kind, compassionate people that you're getting into that um, uh, uh, industry. And so, yeah, I think those would be my, my two main suggestions. Brilliant, thank you. Hayden, what would have helped you throughout school and what do you think needs to happen? in order to change things so that other young people don't experience what you've experienced? I think what would have helped me is just mutual respect, like within the students, but the teachers as well, because school is like one of the first places where everyone is socialized. I think it would be really important to have, as well as slavery and civil, um, the civil rights we need to have blackness be taught in our education system not necessarily like a normal way, but like 
people need to be used to blackness. Like when it, when it's not in your immediate surroundings, if you're growing up in a white neighborhood, we need to be in the curriculum. People need to be taught about racism. We talk about microaggressions, all these little things. So when they come into contact with black people, <laughs> it's not going to be more trauma for us, stuff like that. Also, people need to be taught about being inclusive when it comes to the queer community as well and all those intersections. Brilliant, thank you. Samuel? Um, yeah, I think um, Hayden and Emmanuel both sort of hit the nail on the head for me. Um, I think it's so important to have a, an inclusion perspective when it comes to the curriculum. For me personally, in terms of what would have helped, it's, it's hard, I guess it's harder for me because I managed to, I managed to dodge a bullet in a sense um, through my own, I don't know, resilience. But had more members of staff been more aware of the things that not just myself, but other pupils were facing and called certain things out for what they were, um, and not just brushed it under the carpet and told us, Do you know what, it's going to be fine, just just carry on, just work harder. You know, and having a culture of, of fairness as well, and having a culture of understanding the things that black people go through, and the things that me as a, as a young black boy I'm, I'm processing on a daily basis. It's something that I'm personally trying to teach the young people that I work with um, on a youth offending perspective as well, because all we're doing is we're having a normal day and then all you see is another black man on the news, something happening to, to him. And you sort of have to turn away from everything you're doing to try and process the trauma um, that you've just been exposed to. So, yeah, I think having more members of staff who have a certain level of understanding and education about black history, being more inclusive in terms of the curriculum, I think it's, it's so vital. So, yeah, for me, I think that's what, I, that's what would have helped me deal with things a, a lot more better if members of staff helped um, to call certain things out for what they were. It would have helped me to process things as, as it was at the time as well. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Davies? I will totally agree with what Samuel and, you know, Emmanuel have said and Hayden as well. And um, except, you know, understanding, you know, the Black youth also having respect for us and accepting who we are as Black people. There's things that happen behind the scenes, so maybe I might be smiling, you know, all day, but inside me, there's something going on. And also being able to have relationship, good relationship, you know, with, with the kids, not just like having a barrier between you because they're students, because you're being paid to teach them. There shouldn't be a barrier between you and the student. You should be able to, you know, be closer to the students. And through this, there'll be so many things like a student could open up to you and you could save someone's lives. Uh, being able to break the barrier of, you know, a student and a teacher, but make it more like friendly and, you know, make them feel like you're part of their family as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to go to Nathan. Yeah, I wanted to um, echo a lot of what, um, especially Emmanuel said about representation, but not only representation of people in terms of who we have teaching and representation of black people in the classroom, but also representation of the diverse number of issues that actually fall under the, the umbrella of racism. Because I, th I, th I think a lot of the time when we talk about um, decolonizing the curriculum and things like that, we often use terms like a whitewash curriculum and, and things along that line. But really 
I think it's unhelpful to go and travel along these lines of black versus white. I don't think that dichotomy is, is, is progressive when it comes to the education system. So I think what would have helped me was a, just a globalized understanding of the world um, because there are vast numbers of contributions to history from sciences all the way to the arts from people all around the world, especially black people um, and, and others. Another piece of help that really would have um, assisted me when I was at school is just just feeling feeling heard because I know a lot of um, teachers and a lot of people who provide education they they hear but they don't really listen and feeling believed and feeling heard in the world is a massive part of what black people struggle with I think I think um, I can think of lots of lots of times where I've been pulled over by the police or something like that and they're, they're just not listening to the things that you're saying they're just putting you in a box of this is what these people act like or behave like and I think what would serve to, to reduce that feeling in a lot of black people especially young black people in schools is is feeling heard and like their opinions are are actually valued in getting across I also think it's 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 important to, to think about the, the reform of the people who, who provide the education because a lot of people think it's enough just to study Black History for Black History Month, but there's really a lot, a lot more to it than just, just the issues that get covered. So I think the, the most helpful way to move forward is to, to really view all of the issues as, as not just a single issue, you know, racism as, as its own thing, but a, a wide spectrum of things that people can learn about from a very young age all the way to up until when they die. I mean, all of us in this room are still learning about racism and that doesn't matter if you're black or white or, or whatever, we're, we're learning about the ways that it manifests in our society and pointing those things out and representing issues as well as people um, in schools is, is, is going to be one of the most effective ways, I think. Absolutely. Thank you guys all so much. I'm going to try my best to get through as many questions as possible. And I am going to unmute all of you that have spoken. So if you feel as though this is a question that you can respond to, then please just jump in. There's a number of questions that people have asked around what impact did your experience have on your peers? From my personal experience um, that I, I spoke about earlier, I think the, the impact of seeing black people treated differently and narratives like that reproduced can be really negative um, in terms of moving forward. You might have the most well-intentioned white child sitting in a classroom, but they're, they're still taking in everything that they see and hear and all of the feelings that they feel coming from the teacher and the, the people in the classroom, um, whether they be white or black. So really, I think we, we, we can positively move towards, um, towards people having a better understanding just by representing all of this more. And I think it, I, you, would, you can't really blame a lot of people for feeling, for, for saying things that are actually quite ignorant some of the time, because our education systems just don't, they're, they're not equipped with the, the power to to teach everyone that some of the things that are going on are wrong, some of the education that they're being given is is not actually a real representation of, of what's in the world. Brilliant, thank yeah. you. So, so I'm just going to throw out as many questions as possible and we can you can refer back to one that's already been asked as well. So there's another question. Can you recall any teachers that made you feel acknowledged or appreciated and how did that affect your experience? I think I saw somewhere where, you know, people... Someone, someone mentioned that we shouldn't always make this a black and white thing. And um, to some extent, I agree. Just because, although my experience in secondary school was quite negative, um, there were actually black members of staff who were, in some cases, worse 
than other members of staff. And I don't know what it is, but you know, they would look at you and it's as if they had uh, a bigger vendetta with you than they did with other pupils. And I don't know what that is. I don't know how to explain it. I'm sure someone's done some research on that to explain that. However, the, the teacher that inspired me the most was my English teacher. And she actually was the complete opposite of what I would expect in a role model or someone that could support me. She was a white, white English, I'm trying to think. Yeah, she was a white English old middle class lady. Uh, she was my English teacher. And the reason why she inspired me and, and why she supported me is because just like it's been mentioned already, she was there to listen. She was kind, she was compassionate. She had the values and the traits and the characteristics of someone who should be a teacher. And I think first and foremost, we're human beings. And I think when you display those characteristics to other people, irrespective of race, you know, uh, there's, there's something that happens then when people treat each other in a particular way. And she did that with all of her students. And I think for me, the reason why uh, I respected her and why I appreciated her so much is because one, English was one of my subjects, favourite subjects. And despite all my difficulties outside of her lesson, she always used her space, her classroom, as an opportunity for me to be able to express myself creatively. And so that's where I developed the passion to write, the, the, the passion to be able to read, to read out loud. And so from an academic sense, she supported me in that sense. But then also coming away from that, you know, when I had difficulties in the playground or when I had issues, you know, just outside of the classroom, one thing she did that no other teacher ever did was she said every break time or lunchtime, if I had any issues, I could just come into a classroom and, and I could just come. And so when I would walk into a classroom, you know, she'd just be sitting there, she'd be reading her book, she'd have a cup of tea. And I literally, I could walk in and if I didn't want to say anything to her, I didn't have to. But I knew that I had a space and I had someone that was there and that person was available. And so I think if you get that kind of quality uh, and, that kind, and those characteristics and those traits from all members of staff, you know, at least there you kind of have a, I mean, aside from all the things that we need to deal with in, in regards to representation in the curriculum, but when you look at the human sense of what, what our role is and you've got someone there that actually is compassionate, uh, who loves their job, who is willing to listen, and that's the difference, you know, you can talk to a member of staff, but not all of them are prepared to listen. And I think she was a, she had a great ability, you know, to be able to kind of just make you feel welcome and make you feel listened. And I think for that reason, she probably was one of the only few teachers that I would say uh, made my experience a positive experience in school. Thank you so much. So there's a question here about the curriculum. There's quite a few questions about the curriculum and whether or not we should have a black curriculum um, and whether or not having a more inclusive curriculum would have improved your experience. Yeah, I, I wanted to, to raise a couple of things about the, the purpose of something like a Black History Month or having black um, studies on the curriculum. Um, the Black History Month was invented or first proposed by a man named Carter G. Woodson, and he wrote a book called The Miseducation of the Negro. And that covers quite widely the, the fact that black people, as well as other people in the world, had to be functionally miseducated for things like slavery and um, the, the, the fixedness of oppression that we're seeing now to actually be successful in the world. And I think a lot of what collectively the world is overcoming is a lot of that, because I think internalized by a lot of black people and a lot of white people as well will be certain things about history or certain things about the black experience. Um, so I think it's really important that we, we do include notable black people on the curriculum. And um, I know I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about abolishing um, Black History Month. I'm not sure if that would potentially be a, a productive thing to do. I think it definitely might go some way to 
reducing the the amount that it's it's tokenized but i think that would only potentially be positive if it gave way to a lot of um a lot more of a globalized understanding on the curriculum of things that black people have done as well as other people um from around the world brilliant thank you there was a number of questions asking about parents and what parents can do to support or advocate for their young people there's a lot of talk about you know the the availability of certain texts and I think one thing that I've actually started doing with certain parents is I've I started signposting them to like resources and texts that their children are able to um to have access to and what I what I always do you know irrespective of whatever the, the issue is is I always encourage parents to read to their students and I think um for me personally one of the one of the issues I had growing up is I, di- I didn't really know much about my history and my family's history partly because I don't think it was done malicious, maliciously, but you know, my, my parents didn't really speak much about where I came from and the history. And so where there's an onus you know, on the school to kind of have a more diverse curriculum um, and, and to touch on stories of African people or whatever, you know, us as adults, us as parents also have the responsibility to teach our children because when you've got a seven or eight year old who knows what it means to be a racist and knows what it means to 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 speak to certain children of color in a certain way it's because they've been educated in that although it's wrong they've been spoken to they've, they've learned that and so i think we can't expect the school to do what we as a community as parents should be doing and so and for me personally i mean there's many things that we could touch on this but for me i think parents speaking to their children and sharing stories you know positive stories negative stories whatever it is but those stories matter because they are what create an identity. Uh, because, you know, for me, you know, going into school, I can't say I had a strong sense or a strong identity, uh, you know, as an, as an African boy who was born in Britain. I was fluid in terms of the things that I was trying to get into or the person I was trying to be, which is why we allowed the nonsense of Africans versus Caribbeans in school. And, you know, you had African kids claiming to be Caribbean and all that nonsense. Like when it comes down to it, it's actually the story and the education we're getting at home. When it's created and it's kind of developed from the home, I think you kind of have young people who have at least a stronger identity when they go into school. And then it's not their responsibility then to then obviously educate themselves in other things. That's for the teachers and that's for SLT members. But certainly uh, when it starts from home, um, and parents take the initiative of actually speaking to their children, not the, not the mentality that we've heard that, you know, children should be seen and not listened to, which is a very old fashioned African thing, but that's very much how it was in my house. And so for that, I think my parents missed out on an opportunity to really kind of to speak to me and to kind of create a good sense of what it is, you know, to be a black African child operating in this country. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important for parents to also educate themselves because obviously kids spend so much of their time at school and if they're not learning in their classroom they're learning on the playground um, and they're feeding each other a lot of a lot of negative things and a lot of traumatic things they're all being exposed to so I think as a parent really need to equip yourself and also educate yourself in order to in order to offer intervention for your for your kids when they do come and because of the things that they're exposed to on a daily basis just like what Emmanuel was saying the whole nonsense about Africans versus Caribbeans, and um, I work with a lot of young men who don't believe that they're African because they're Caribbean and that's where they're from, and they don't really understand how far back their history stretches, and they refuse to accept the fact that they're African or the fact that they are where they originate from. So I think, um, yeah, it's so important for parents to not just sit there watching your kids read, but also read with them and understand with them as well, and have 
open and frank conversations with with them to just to gauge their to gauge their understanding of what is going on around them. Well, thanks. And there are, there are a couple of questions that are around what do white teachers need in terms of being able to have this conversation more generally, but also if they work in a school that is almost exclusively white. So any advice for, for teachers to be allies in this work? Again, I think education. I think allyship is, is a constant, the constant state of gaining information and being uncomfortable. Um, I was also going to say, I think we should have um, quite a, a big focus placed on taking the power away from a lot of these words like racism and white supremacy and things like that. I think in our society, especially in British culture, we view it quite a lot as um, when that label gets put on something, people view it as a personal attack and they either view it as they are a racist or they're not a racist. And there's only two sides you can be on, but really, racism manifests through lots of different behaviors and i think we shouldn't be afraid to say those words in a classroom even if it's a classroom of only white kids i think we we should make people aware of of, of what that that really means because there are there are many forms of racism and re really it's it's not about attacking the person a lot of the time i think a lot of the time people say that was racist the person receiving it receives it as you know i'm a bad person essentially i am a racist but we need to really i think when we're talking about teachers they need to lose lose the fear of of this conversation because it's it's a really important one it's one that needs to be had absolutely and then one final question is if you could give one piece of advice to a school head teacher what would it be i would say that they have to be honest with themselves. I mean, I said it the other day, I think if you're silent at this moment in time, you're complicit in it. There's no such thing as you being not racist. I think you have to have your stance as completely anti-racist. And so with that being said, you have to recognise that actually, you know, the institution that you manage or that you control as a head teacher might have systems, processes, policies that may affect the young people within that school. I mean, a perfect example is hair policy. When I was in school, it was an issue. And it's still an issue now. If you tell a particular group of people that their hair must be in a certain way, what you're doing already before an actual official exclusion has happened is you're excluding those young people. You're telling them that they're not wanted the way that they look, their identity, there's something wrong with it. And that's fundamentally wrong because that shouldn't be a judge on your ability to learn or how far you're going to go in life. And so I think head teachers in particular, and even governors, I'd say, because one thing people don't realise is that, you know, head teachers are accountable to governors. So Going back to one of the previous questions, if you want to think about how parents can also support and help their young children, consider being a governor because it's a voluntary role. And if you think your voice isn't being heard as a parent, you always have the option to be a parent governor in your school or do it for another school to help that cause. But I think specifically for head teachers, they have to acknowledge that racism exists. They have to acknowledge that white privilege exists. And within their power and within, within their control, they need to be able to look into the policies, the curriculum, you know, the, the practical things. It's no good them putting out a statement to say that they support the black families. But when school starts again in September, there's nothing that's been put in place to actually support those young people. One of my, one of my first bit of advice is I would say, make sure that there's a safe space for, their, for their, their students to be able to share and explore these issues more. And then don't leave it as that token activity 
have something integrated, no matter how long it takes, have something integrated where young people, white, black, Asian, whatever they are, can explore what racial inequality is, what it looks like when you talk about the history of Britain. Don't just look into decolonizing it and focusing on how can we show what Britain has done. Actually, if you want to kind of show what true history is, you need to go even, you know, you need to go before um, colonization and look at what was happening in the 1600s in certain places around the world. So I think First and foremost, it would take leaders to be brave. I'm going to give her a quick plug. Hannah Wilson on Twitter, who is called ethical, I think, underscore leader. I'm sure you know her very well, Muna. She wrote a brilliant blog recently. And the blog essentially was, was telling white educators to be brave, to be bold, and to be fearless. Um, because ultimately, it isn't black people's responsibility to remove the systems that have been created to put them down in the first place. And so with that being said, you know, it's going to take white educators to teach themselves, to learn, to look at resources, to read, and then to also call out other members of staff who might be doing things or saying things or acting in a way that you think is, is, is potentially oppressing or in some ways kind of, uh, you know, preventing other groups of people to succeed. And so I think you have to step up. It's not just for us as black educators. It's, it's down to them also to educate themselves, to call each other out. Because, you know, someone made a good point the other day. You could say you're not racist, but then if you've got family members who are sitting around you and making racist remarks and you don't call them out on it, then you're complicit in it. You've allowed it. It means you don't you don't really think it's that much of an issue. Whereas if you're passionate about something, if you really do believe in human rights, inequalities, if your school ethos and your school values is about treating people fairly, giving everyone equal, equal opportunities, whatever it is, then you actually need to show that in the way that you are as a teacher, but also as a senior leader in the systems and the policies that you create within your school. So that, that would be my advice for them. Thank you so much. And I just want to take a moment to just thank you all for just being so generous with your stories and for taking the time to respond to the questions so thoroughly. Um, there are a number of people on chat that are just praising you all and thanking you for your contribution. And is it Aisata sent a message to just uh, encourage you all and just say how brilliant you all spoke. So I'm sure there's plenty of those if you want to have a look through the chat. I'm just going to give the last 10 minutes to two particular speakers that I think are important contributions for this discussion as well. And these are two men who work specifically on some of the areas that our speakers have spoken about. So I'm going to invite them on and then they can introduce themselves. And I'm going to give each of you just five minutes each and I'll be quite strict with it. So Joshua, I'm going to unmute you first. Hi everyone, my name is Joshua. I, well, my background basically, I used to be an education advocate um, where I challenged over, well, I've challenged over 100 permanent and fixed term exclusions across London. And I'm currently part of the No More Exclusions working group to, to basically advocate for no more exclusions. And in dealing with the question, um, how have schools failed black boys? I think one of the direct answers to that is essentially through the legislation, which applies to the exclusion process, and also the lack of understanding through the um, willingness or the willful ignorance of some um, teachers. Now, two um, examples of that is in the actual legislation that governs the school exclusion process. It's the application of the two-stage test for exclusion, which in my experience has been incredibly detrimental to black boys specifically, because in applying it, the governors who are meant to be the critical face for the 
head teacher haven't been able to demonstrate to the parents who seek the appeal as well as to the head teacher that they are being the critical friend that they're actually meant to be in that process also in the application of the balance of probabilities test now that's the determining factor which decides the conferment of the exclusion and when you have governors for instance who whose unconscious bias plays into the stereotypes that put black people down it becomes very difficult to use a process which on its face is meant to show the parent that okay we're taking your appeal seriously and you're actually getting some sort of justice quote unquote and what that falls into is essentially the gaslighting of parents and specifically black parents when they are holding on to a sense of hope of getting some form of justice for their child now for i'll give an example about one black boy um, who was permanently excluded from school now the grounds of that it wasn't a serious breach it was it was an accumulation of different instances which led up to his exclusion now the the reasons for it essentially based on that he was having difficulty concentrating and being very irritable in school now when the head teacher made the exclusion it was my role to essentially try and get that rescinded when i called up the head teacher now a middle class white woman i said to her that this boy had an education health and care plan now in that plan it clearly stated that this boy had sickle cell anemia the head teacher's response to me was well that's not a disability now what the head teacher did not know was that she was speaking to a blood donor who carries the RO subtype and who is fully aware that sickle cell sufferers rely on that type of blood very heavily and when a sickle cell sufferer is dealing with a crisis that potentially could play into their actions as well as their um the way they project themselves at school and it's those that general lack of understanding and lack of willingness to do the research before using such a draconian power to exclude the child the second example is one of my own personal example um coming from south london myself i did attend a roman catholic boys school and um similar to emmanuel i had a head teacher who she did humiliate me in front of a class of 98% black boys when he stood up and he brazenly said to me in my face that i had no rights he then sent me to his office and reminded me that he had the power to exclude me if i challenged him any more now what that demonstrated to me was very a very blasé attitude to deal with the systemic issues that clearly is of disbenefit to many black boys in this country now working with no more exclusions i think the difficulty in changing a system that is inherently against you as a person is that there will always be questions whatever you whatever arguments you put forward there will always be questions which will always arcs of you okay we need to do something else we need to check what they're saying we need to counter this argument so eventually you don't get anywhere 
And that's the root cause of systemic racism in this country. So in answer to the question, how have school, schools failed black boys? It is through the very practices which on its face say to a parent, this is your avenue for getting justice for your child. Change the legislation, the Education Act 2002 and 2011. Thank you so much. And then Chima, before we finish off, I'm just going to unmute you. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. First of all, I want to say thank you to Emmanuel, to Nathan, to Hayden, Mustafa, Samuel and Davis for sharing your stories. And, and also thank you for Mina for giving them the platform um, to do that. It's, it's, it is different times right now. And as a black man myself, I must say first, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a humanities teacher. I've been teaching in North London, East London, all over London actually for the past 10 years. But I have to say, as a black man myself, I have been forced to look at and reflect on my own experiences of racism because of what is happening now. And that is because it's been such a traumatic occasion for all of us. And I've had to do things that I've never had to do before and write down things that I've never had to write down before. Things that I've had to accept, suppress and normalise just to get on with life. So once again, thank you all for sharing your stories. It's very, very important to, to go through that process because it is a process that we need to go through because there's a lot of trauma in, in our communities. There's a lot of normalizing in our communities. And if we don't accept it, like it just sits in the back of your mind and it rots away. And you, you have to get it out if you're going to heal and if you're going to improve your well-being. Now, I joined No More Exclusions about a year ago. And what we are, we are a abolitionist coalition grass, grassroots movement, okay? And the, and the mission essentially is to bring an end to the persistent race disparities that exist in the education system, and in particular, um, school exclusion policy. We want to affect change um, at the legal level, policy level, practice, and a cultural level, because we need to ultimately attack it at all of these angles if you want to build a system that essentially truly works for for all of us okay so we are a grassroots community group of activists we go up and down the country we deliver workshops and when we say no more exclusions we're not just saying that in isolation what we mean is how can we how can we be more inclusive as well because we need to improve the level of inclusivity in our education system. We need to look at the students we are working with. We need to look at them as individuals, as human beings. And like a lot of you have said, learn to be more, learn to be kind, learn to be more thoughtful, learn to be caring, um, rather than just dismissing them. Because a lot of people um, are suffering. You know, I agree with Hayden when he said, it's not really about the dichotomy of black and white. We shouldn't focus on that. However, what I will say is that I remember, I will never forget the first time society told me that my skin colour will make a difference. When I was six years old and I was told that I couldn't play Chiss Chase until I got another black girl to play with me. So that was the first time I was, aware, I was made aware of my difference, of, of my skin colour. All up until recently, when I was told by a fellow colleague that black men have grudges. And... There's, there's so much we need to do to, to work together. So what I would say is we need everyone to unite, but also we need our white colleagues and our white teachers. We need to look at themselves. We need to recognise and accept our own prejudices and biases. Somebody asks, how can I, how can I help? 
without appearing to be the white savior? How can I help our BMA be black and global majority people without coming across as the white savior? Well, the, to do that, you need to be uncomfortable first. You have to get uncomfortable. It's important. That means looking at yourself, looking at any prejudices and biases you may have, accepting it, and then learning to move on. Then you can really say, learn about new experiences. And I'm so glad that I look in this chat now and I see so many different people from different, different backgrounds that you signed on to this conversation. You wanted to be part of this, this movement to change things for the better. Now, it's, it is more than registering for a Zoom call. In case you thought it would be that easy, I have to say no. Now it means when you go back to your classrooms, you go back to your schools and you're sitting in those all-white um, SLT meetings and you want to say something about the black and global majority children in your school, you might be the only voice and you might be looked upon as a troublemaker. And it's down to you when in those situations to keep fighting on because that's what we have to go through every day. Only when you've been in those situations, then you can truly say you're, you're willing to, to make the change. But we have to make first steps. And I'm so glad to see everyone here willing to come together to make sure that we take what we've learned today into our schools. Because we are on the cusp of history here because people are waking up and this has to change. And what would tell me if I need to speak to my children about the limitations of their skin colour like my parents did to me? I won't think I've made the, made the big difference. So please follow No More Exclusions. The Twitter handle is at N Exclusions. Please follow. Please stay aware of what we're doing. Please, if you see us at any events, come forward, come and share your experiences. Um, we, need, we need activists right now. We need more people to make the structural change. That's where the, the racism sits at the table of power, unfortunately. That's where it is. And unfortunately, guys, I don't have access to it. I don't have access to, the, to that power system. So we're going to need some help from everyone. Okay, so please, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for, for being here. It's really encouraging to see so many people willing to make a difference. Thank you so much, Chima. So I, there's nothing else to add to that other than to just thank all of the speakers that we've had for being so generous with your time and with your stories, for giving us the opportunity to ask you questions and for responding. I'll just end it there. Thank you all so much and enjoy the rest of your evening. The British school system has failed black children for generations and it is long overdue a reckoning. Whether we're talking about the ways in which racial biases inform our behaviour strategies and disproportionate punishment that young black children receive resulting in what we will talk about in a lot more detail in future episodes as the school to prison pipeline to thinking about the mental health impact of schools as being sites of trauma and re-trauma to thinking about the curriculum that does not reflect the diverse lived experiences of the young people within our school system and instead continues to center European knowledge as being the center and canons of knowledge and also negates the need to look at empire in the work that we're doing around race and racial equity within schools. There is so much to unpack about racism within the education system and so we will continue to return to this as a standpoint for the work that we engage in and the discussions that we have as part of the podcast. Please continue the conversations that have started as a result of this discussion. Pay attention to what these young men are sharing of their lived experiences, but also the ways in which systems and structures have not been there to support them in the ways that they should have. This is generational work that we are embarking on. 
There are things that we are still yet to unpack about the severity of the impact of systemic racism on young people within the education system. This is work that needs to continue on. And so these discussions that we are having that will be captured on Zoom and will be captured on the YouTube channel will also be brought into this stage through the podcast for you to reflect on and to listen and think about how this informs the work that you do as you seek to become an anti-racist. This is Becoming an Anti-Racist, the podcast.